All right. Good morning, everybody. Glad to see you all. And uh, thank you, Randall. So, yeah, we're glad. I want just one last announcement. And honestly, this is partially um, invest- because of everything going on with uh, Rooted. Um, she's not Rooted with uh, COVID. That one of the things we've really, um, it's been interesting for us, is getting back into doing church uh, and specifically the opportunities we have to serve at Vintage. So, you know, like literally back in March, all of a sudden our hospitality team had no longer had jobs on Sunday mornings. No one was serving in our children's ministry. We didn't have this camera set up. What's going on? Virtual world, right? We didn't have that going on for anybody. And so it was like one of those unique things for us, right? Because there was nothing to stuff going on. And so when we started back in June of last year, and then we were social distanced, there were small numbers coming. But we're getting back to that point, again, was that place of normalcy, right? Some people are still doing virtual. May we bless y'all in that. This is what's best for y'all in this season. I will say just for virtual people, it's one of those things, right? This can be grace to say this. We would love to see you back in person. If there's not a reason for you to stay at home, we'd love you to come back because we miss you in person, I'm just saying. All right, so I'm moving forward. It's one of those things we have this place of normalcy where we're getting back to this point of, hey, there are actual things going on where we would like to begin engaging these things with a greater sense of normalcy. Use that word three or four times because it's important. I think that's all of our desire to get back to that place where things feel normal again in a way, maybe not exactly the way they were, but at least something that resembles that. And so one of those things then that is we would love to begin to open up doors again for you, opportunities to serve in the life of vintage in these three primary things that I've named. Number one, we have this team back here who was serving here. Here's Daniel Haas. Everybody say hey to Daniel real quick. So here's the deal. Y'all may not know, some of you do, that when we started this, I called Daniel, and Daniel said, I'll work tirelessly every single Sunday to be at your house early in the morning to get computers set up, to get lights set up, to get computer screens set up. He has set, he has been a, the primary mover and shaker to get all of our cameras and our lighting. Every week, he's the one who's doing all the work. We pay him absolutely nothing, 100% volunteer. Yes, he has a 9-to-5 job working many, many, many hours, doing life, right? And so when that he's been serving, and he came and said, hey, Steve, I'd love to get some more people to begin to serve. We have people who are, who are stepping out of vintage. So Andrew Thurman, God love him. He's still part of our vintage family, but he's leaving to go off right now. Raise your hand, Andrew. He's the one doing all the computer screens. He's leaving to go to UGA, go dogs. Right? I love him more because he's going there now, right? And so it's that dynamic that he's leaving, has somebody else getting married, and they're moving. And so he said, I would love to get people to come be trained. I said, what do they need to know to do the camera? He's like, ah, I said, if someone can use a TV remote, are they now capable of running cameras? He goes, yes, right? So I think that it means everybody in here, depending on matter how old you are, right? The opportunity is available. Do you have have the skill set, and he would love to teach you how to do this. That's all you got to do, right? And like a little joystick thing like this. So this, this, and this. All right, everybody do this. Yeah, everybody do this. Everybody do this, right? So you're a perfect candidate for that. So if you're willing and able, right, to go and to serve, the bigger our team, right, the greater it is. You're not giving, like, hours and hours every month. Daniel would love to connect with you, get you on a team. Second, obviously, with our children, we recognize one of the great reasons people don't feel comfortable coming back yet. And literally, some churches cannot go back in person yet because they have lost every single one of their volunteers for children's ministry. 
isn't a primary issue. Like, if you talk to any children's pastor, they'll say, oh, we would go back to starting church again, but we don't have people to serve in our children's ministry. And so I would just say this. We, listen, Ginger and Shar and Joy have worked their tails off to make this open, make our children's ministry open. And so we are super thankful for them. If you have not thanked them recently, Please do that. They work tirelessly hours on end to open this up for us. It's been, I mean, I'm going to say this. They're not necessarily in here. It has been a sacrifice of their time and energy. It really has been. And I would just simply say this. Would you please be willing to take time to go and to disciple our kids? Listen, we do two services. You can come to one and serve at the other. That's a primary practical reason of doing two services. You're like, I don't do children. We'll just start doing it, right? I mean, it's one of those deals I love when Jesus says, he says, don't hinder little ones coming to me. So let's not do that, right? Let's serve in children's ministry. You're like, I'm too old. No, you're not. We've got like 80-year-old men who are back there on the floor, literally working with our kids. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. And so we'd love for you to get involved in that so you can connect with Ginger. and She'd love to just find ways to plug you in. And then lastly is hospitality. Listen, let's just be honest. Let's just be honest. Um, the primary reason, one of the, the primary um, starting point, like the, the entry to every church begins as people walk through the door and if somebody's nice to them. Right? I'll be honest with you, I think what annoys me about, about church world. If somebody, I walk into a church and someone does a, hey, what's up, as they talk to their friends, right? Or someone's like, good morning, how are you? Right. So we just say we want people who can smile. Right. People who can be nice to other people. Right. So if that's you, April would love to connect with you. We're not yet starting up with our coffee. We will in time. Right. We just need someone who can like open doors, be nice to people, smile, say we are so glad to have you this morning. If you can do that, say that and look like that, then you're a prime candidate for hospitality. And again, the more that we have, you can do all three of these things and still have plenty of time to do life. So all right. Well, that's great. Thank you all. So y'all connect with the right people. You can connect with Daniel. You can connect with April. She's back here in this floral outfit back here. She'd love to connect you. And then Ginger would be awesome, too. All right. Let me find my message so we can dive in this morning. As Randall has already said, and let's just do this for me real quick. If you don't turn, if you turn around, Carl, and put that on cool and put that on a lower number than what it's set on, that would be super helpful because I am definitely not cold up here or even comfortable. So that would be super fantastic. And uh, my new best friend right there. Thank you, Carl. I appreciate it. All right. So, hey, so we, as Randall has already said, we are in the middle of our foster care uh, foster care month. And again, it's one of those things, if you just kind of look at it, I've already named it, right, this idea when Jesus says, hey, do not hinder little ones coming to me. And here's the thing that's super interesting to me about that. You have to recognize, like everybody kind of loved kids back in the day, but they didn't give them value as in having a voice, right? Like today's world where kids kind of can share their thoughts Maybe we call it talking back. That would never have happened in Jewish culture, for sure, because they weren't given a voice. They weren't giving a place. They weren't given a platform, apart from what their dads gave them, right? And so in that, children, just by and large, didn't have any rights, didn't have this peace. And so in the moment when, when these children are coming to Jesus and the disciples are doing, listen, the culturally appropriate thing, which is to pick the kids up and go, shoot, get out of here, kid, right? Whatever it may be, Jesus says, don't. Stop, let them come. 
Don't hinder the little ones coming to me, right? He's giving, he's showing their, their value. He's giving them, he's showing that they're important, right? And so in that Jesus, to be honest with you, I know it may seem shocking, but just in that simple story, he reshapes our understanding of children in the context of our culture, that they are vitally important to Jesus. Their lives matter. Their past, their present, and their future are vitally important. So we don't hinder them coming because, man, he is massively for them. He loves them. And so for us, as we talk about children, whether it's the village or we talk about our, like our, listen, our school teachers. How many school teachers do we have in here? I don't care what grade you're in because even 17-year-olds are still five years old at heart, right? It's like we're thankful for them. Just clap for clap for them, please. I mean, right there, it's a job for them. But, man, they're having... Every single teacher will go, yes, I'm having to parent every single one of my classes, right? Like, we're thankful, right? We're thankful for that call on their life and thankful for parents. And so this morning, as we talk about foster care, that's really what we're talking about. It's like, it's just this nature of being extended parents, right? We're always looking for those that we're investing into discipling, giving our lives to, whether it's here in Vintage, whether it's our neighbors. And you talk to, listen, you talk, listen, it's a true story. You talk to any single one of the kids that lives on my street and they know Mr. Steve, right? Like they think I'm weird, funny Mr. Steve because I'm always engaging them. I want them to know they're important. And I want every kid on my street to know that Mr. Steve is for them, right? Even if I'm making fun of them. I make fun of them all the time and we've built such a rapport. They, they make fun of me and it's super great, the relationship that we have. Literally, I'm talking, you can ask my, my kids, right? Like they're back here, like I make fun of all of them. So my deal is this, we, we care about kids. And so when when... In this story, we're going to start off with this morning. We're going to come back to the love of kids. But it's interesting how, how Jesus always is changing people's understanding of how culture is supposed to be. One of my favorite moments is this great question and answer time that Jesus has in the story of the Good Samaritan. You all know the story. It's a super famous story of of, of G, that Jesus tells to, again, make a great valid teaching point. But in this moment, it begins with the expert of the law. It's really important. He's an expert. He understands the law. The law is summed up with love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? And so they quote it here, and the expert of the law is like killing it, feeling really, really good about himself. He's the kid in class. He raises his hand. He gets the answer correct. It's like, yeah, right? So to even validate and to vindicate himself even more, he looks at Jesus and says, so Jesus, and this is the big question for the morning that will be on the screen, is this. Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Expert of the law asked this question, but here's the deal. Have you ever done this where you ask someone a question that you already know the answer for because you just want to show how smart you are and that you actually are the very thing you're asking? And that's what's happening in the moment. The expert of the law is coming in. So, Jesus, yes, I am right. That's what the nature of the law is all about, loving God, loving your neighbor. So, Jesus... uh, who is my neighbor, right? And he's already expecting in the moment. He knows the answer is going to come from Jesus. Everybody knew the answer. It was a very closed view, but it was a very small business. Basically, their neighbor would have been anybody who was part of their family, anybody who was part of their closest network of friends, or maybe in their little tribe right here. So you can look at it in the context of the people on your row, right? You've got your children or your spouse, right? Or you've got your 
best friends or people you're close with sitting right next to you. And then you've got some other people in your section. And you got the whole church right here and in virtual world. And we represent the tribe. And so the idea of expectation is those are neighbors. Those are neighbors, right? And so when he asked the question, who is my neighbor, that's what he's expecting. But Jesus then comes and tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Do you all know the story? Remember, there's that guy, that Jew. He was a Jew. It's super important to know he was Jewish. A Jewish man was walking down the highway, right? This is basically a street, a little like a dirt road. And these marauders, robbers come up beat him up, steal all his stuff, and beat him up so badly they think they've killed him, so they leave him there. And then all of a sudden, the two religious people, right? The two religious people, you know, the priest and the Levite, the ones who are like, they're the pastor, they do all the right things, they're super holy, right? They all of a sudden come up and like, uh, that's not my neighbor because they're bloody, so they're living on the other side of the street, and they keep on going. And then Jesus says, then there was this Samaritan and the expert of the law to go, I wouldn't put the Samaritan into the story because Samaritans were literally known as half-breeds. And nowhere in the world is that considered a good classification for a human being, right? It was a Jew who married a non-Jew, therefore they were in sin and sinners unclean, considered half-breeds. And Jesus makes him the hero of the story. The expert of the laws are like, oh, right? Because now, like, he's asked the question, Jesus is telling the story, everyone is expecting him to get validated, and all of a sudden, Jesus brings up Samaritan, and the lawyer goes, right? He starts to get, start fidgeting, get a little uncomfortable, where everyone's kind of looking at Jesus, looking at the expert of the law. You can imagine, I'm just making all that up, I have no idea, right? But it's something along those lines, right? And so in this moment, Jesus comes and says, the Samaritan, you know what he did? He said he, he literally walked over to him. He's a Samaritan. Samaritans don't relate to Jews. It is a really big deal. He didn't, like, the Jew wasn't his neighbor, culturally. The Jew was not the Samaritan's neighbor, but he goes over, says, oh, my gosh, poor guy. He picks him up, right, make sure he's breathing and alive, right, picks him up, puts him on his donkey, walks with him all the way into town, puts him up at a house or a hotel, then takes money out of his own pocket. Who knows how much he had, but he took money and gave it to pay him. says, then here's other money, maybe all that he had, who knows, so that anything else that comes up, you can care for his needs, right? And then Jesus comes in. You can just go straight to verse 36, verse 36 of Luke 10, and it says this. We're just going to just follow along as I read. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell under the hand of the robbers? Press pause. We'll come back to the verse in a second and finish it, right? When the lawyer, the expert of the law, hears this, he is lost and doesn't know how to answer. Because he's like, I, ha, this doesn't compute. This is culturally wrong. But he says, keep on going. Expert of the law replied, because he's not dumb, he's smart, he's a lawyer. Well, I'm not saying they're all smart. But anyway, here we go. No, just kidding. Expert of the law is a joke, lawyers. Here we go. The expert of the law replied, well, it's the one who had mercy on him. 
It's the one who had mercy on him. Like, can you just imagine, like, if you're watching The Chosen, right, that movie about Jesus out on Netflix right now, like you had that moment, all of a sudden that music would start playing behind it. The one who had mercy. And then Jesus would look and bore a hole into his eyes. I'll just look at Esther. I'll make her uncomfortable. Everybody's like, why are you staring at me? Look at Esther and go, then go and do likewise. And then the camera would, like, pan in and get super close and hold his face. And then they would pan to the lawyer who was Randall, right? (laughs) And that lawyer's going, "Ah," right? He feels, like, beat up, defeated, but challenged, and maybe because it was Jesus actually awakened for the first time in his life. When we talk about the neighbor then, a neighbor is anyone. What Jesus is doing is he's changing the understanding. And what he's saying is super clear. Hey, a neighbor is anyone you meet, anyone you meet who has need and you can help them. Even if it's an enemy. Or maybe even if it's someone who is so culturally inappropriate to you that you seemingly have a religious right to pull away and separate yourself from them in the moment like the expert of law would have thought about here as it related to the Samaritan in this story. Jesus is wrecking him. It's, like, it's, not, about your, it's not about loving your, your wife and your kids. It's not about loving even your mother-in-law, father-in-law, right? It's not just about loving your aunts and uncles. It's not just about loving those people who live right around. It's not just about loving your tribe and the people who are part. It's about recognizing that anyone who comes into your life at any point in time and has a need in their life, then you need to help them. And that changes everything, enemy or not. Let's just say this. 2020 would have looked different, probably for our nation, if everyone just recognized there's no, there's no Samaritan half-breeds in our nation. There's no people who God doesn't like, doesn't love, and is absolutely opposed to. Jesus calls us to love everyone at all times, not just the people who look like, act like, and sound like us. We should be honest about theology around neighbors, not just what feels right. But I digress because we're talking about foster kids this morning. So when we come in, then it says, Jesus says, now go and do likewise. So when we talk about National Foster Care Month, it's important to recognize that that eight years ago, I would say really nine, ten years ago, I was absolutely clueless, like really what foster care was about, right? I really had no idea. And so we were doing college ministry, Randall and I, we were living in Orlando, Florida, and we were just kind of doing life, going about our own things. And, and so we were doing life, right? <clears throat> and God called us to leave. 
God called us to leave. And so to be honest with you, when we're thinking about our lives, we thought to ourselves, well, God's going to call us somewhere to an unreached people group, anywhere stretching from like West Africa all the way over to East Asia, because these are the relationships that we've built. These are the people that we're in a relationship with. This is a real passion of our hearts. These are the people that we pray into. These are the people we're in conversation with. These are the places that we go and do mission trips on a, on a yearly basis. I went to India every other year since 1999 to go spend weeks at a time with people that we're in relationship with that we love, right? One of our good friends, we've talked about her in the past, right? She's literally flying home today from Southeast Asia, being forced out of her home, living in our basement for the next three weeks, right? Maybe longer, maybe shorter, who knows, depending on, on housing for her, right? Because we care. These are relationships. They're not just people we know. They're family and friends. Like, these are our passion. And so we said, God, where would you have us go? And we're like thinking of the map. And he goes, Cedar Crest, Georgia. We're like, are you sure? Seriously? If Cedar Crest, Georgia, like Cedar Crest, like coming into Paulding County, Jesus? I mean, of all places, you could, like, seriously. There was a call here. And we were like, we debated with the Lord. We questioned the Lord. Nothing wrong with Paulding County. Nothing wrong with Cedar Crest area. And there's this nowhere on our radar screen. It wasn't one, two, three, or four on our list. It would have been way down here because we just wasn't, we weren't even thinking about it. But we said yes to the Lord, and so in that, we said, God, and then if we're going to this area, listen, if we're going to this area, this is about vintage, it's about you, right? God, if we're going to this area, then you have to give us an unreached people group, which is shocking because 85, listen, 80% of people are unchurched in our region, but it's like 99.9% of people in our region have probably had some touch point with the gospel with Jesus in church, right? Not necessarily an unreached people group in our area, maybe unchurched, but not unreached, right? So we're like, oh, and I'm like praying this prayer. So when I say I pray this prayer, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I prayed that prayer, God, give us an unreached people group every day, but I will say to you I prayed it at least every other day for three years. God, I'm just reminding you, you have yet to give us an unreached people group. I have no idea what that is, Lord. It's, I, don't even, I, don't, I can't even make it up, but God, I'm sure that you will bring it. And so one day I'm in a conversation. In a conversation with a group of two couples, there's four of them. They've approached me about this, the heartbeat of God for adoption. Adoption as a calling, and I'm like, hey, that's great. I love adoption. So why don't you go build a vi- rather than just give it to me? So I basically, hey, I, I'm, why don't you go do the work of figuring out what that looks like, rather than you give me your vision. This is super important, by the way. Don't give me your vision and expect me to implement it. God didn't give me the vision; He gave you the vision. So you take your vision that God's given you, you figure out how to implement it, and you come to me and tell me how I can partner with what God's called you to do. Super important, right? I'm like, okay, great. So they went to their homework. They came back. We sit, this room over here used to be a door right here. That was our community room. And so we sat in there one afternoon. And they sat there and said, hey, we have a, we have, we have a plan. I'm like, fantastic. Let's hear it. So they started talking about this idea of adoption. It's a beautiful thing. But so what we believe the starting point for us is, is foster care that leads to adoption. Foster care that leads to adoption. They started talking about these groups that we could be a part of. And they're talking, 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 talking until all of a sudden True story. We're probably 10 minutes into the conversation. All of a sudden, they turn into Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 wah. And all I heard was God speak. It wasn't audible voice. If I had to put it like on a scale, it was like right here because it rocked me to the very core of my being to the point like, like people say, God doesn't speak today. I'm like, that's dumb. Of course he speaks. Why wouldn't he speak to his children, the one that he loves with everything inside of him? Why wouldn't he communicate, right? And so he comes and says, this is your unreached people group. 
And I sat there, and like I got emotional. I got undone on the inside. I was overwhelmed. I got excited. I went from this to like this, and they're like looking at me. And I finally said, just press pause. I said, stop, 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 stop. I said, is anybody reaching these kids with the gospel of Jesus on a regular basis? And they laughed. I said, no. I said, then we're doing it. I didn't go to the elders. I didn't have to. Unbeknownst to me, God was completely working in Randall's life too, right? And I said something about just like, what, I've been talking about this for months. You've not been paying attention. I'm like, sorry, right? But Jesus got a hold of me, right? And so we linked together. We merged on this journey, and we began to go through foster care. And so literally in 2013, I came before Vintage, and I preached a very similar message about God's heart, right? Of, of going to our neighbors, the least of these, to finding those who need help, and to go show mercy and to do likewise, right? That's what we did. It was a beautiful moment, right? We brought foster kids. We've had hundreds, literally hundreds of foster children since 2013 come through vintage. It's been powerful. It's been amazing. It's been wonderful, right? We made the choice to go do likewise. I love today that some people don't know our name in our community, but they know us as the foster care church. I've literally been in conversations, oh, like, what's just the name of your church? And I'm like, Vintage 240, where, now where is that? Well, it's over here, da, da, da. oh, you're the foster care church. Yeah, yes, that's exactly who we are, right? You talk to pastors in our area who know anything about us, and they know us as the foster care church. Oh, yeah, yeah, we love that what you're doing, you're going to foster care. It's a beautiful thing to see how God has done this, raised people up. We've got these families who are sitting here today. We've listened, we have seen that. We've gone from literally foster care into adoption. We have a really cool story. We're not even going to get into it yet. Coming up very soon, right, about an adoption coming up, right? We're going to share. It's going to be a beautiful moment, right? I'm super excited about it. of weeks, but it's this beautiful thing. Multiple families have adopted. It's so great. Thank you, Jesus. He's done this work. We are the foster care church. Someone say amen. Does it excite you? Does it excite you that people in our community, if we closed our doors tomorrow, they would actually miss us as a church because of the way that we impact things? Do you know, I sat, I've told you this story a hundred times, but if you're new to Vintage, I'll share it to you, whether you're virtual or here. I sat with the county commissioner one time, Cobb County County Commissioner, about three years ago. And he looked at me and said, Steve, I'm blown away by the things that your little bitty church is doing in the community. You're known. He looked at me and he goes, you know, there are only two churches in my district that I actually know their name because they're doing anything of value for our, for our county. <laughs> and I'm like... Really, too? And I go, which ones are they? And I'm like, my mind, I'm like, only one is really doing anything. Bro, I didn't say that, though. That's what I was thinking. I'm not going to say the names of the churches. But anyways, it's this dynamic, right, of like, God, thank you that we're making a difference. It's not about us, right? It's the conviction of Jesus and what he's done. So clearly stated, our primary call, hear this, everyone, if you're new at Vintage, our primary call for local outreach in our community has become everything revolving around foster care. Foster care, the children that are in it, fighting for them, blessing them, bringing them into our homes, taking them out and doing things, loving on them. Listen, the bio parents, they're not the enemy. The bio parents, the biological parents, the ones who have done something horrible, right, 
are not the enemy. They're, we're called to love them, right? They may drive us batty, and almost every single one of them do, and sometimes we can't relate to them, right? We can't relate to things that's not healthy. I'm looking at one family in particular, right? It's not super healthy because it's dangerous, but we pray for them. We love them anyway, right? We're praying for breakthrough in their life and redemption, right? We love the bio families, and we love bringing systemic change, systemic change, like fixing the system, like, do y'all know, do y'all, I think you all know, Randall got a phone call. She was invited to come be a part of this advisory board for DFACS, Department of Family and Children's Services. She was invited to sit on a state-level advisory board by Governor Kemp. She gets on these meetings with, like, state legislators to begin to impact the system of foster care. They're forget sitting there one day, we get a, we get a letter. It's like one of those, like, eight by, what those envelopes, right, by 11 pieces of paper, right? And it says, University of Alabama on the front. I'm like, oh, this must be for Randall because it's Alabama. Anyway, so I give it to her, right? If it's at Georgia, it been for me. And so she gets it. She opens it up. It's a letter from the president of the University of Alabama congratulating her for being invited to make a difference in the life of children, saying congratulations on this placement in the, in the state of Georgia to fight for children. I'm not sure exactly what it said, but that's how I interpret it. They congratulated her, thanked her for her services. I can't wait to see what you do. I mean, listen, those who are faithful in little, God gives much. My wife's been faithful. She's impacting. Listen. Vintage isn't big. We're not the North Points of the world. I'm not the Louis Giglio or the Tim Kellers of the world, the Francis Chans who look cool and sound great and impacting, but we're making a difference because we said yes to the call of God to fight for children. And we've been faithful and little, and he's given us much. Someone clap for that. Thank you, Jesus. I want to educate you a little bit. You probably know a lot of these things, but just kind of paint the picture for us of foster care. Children come into care for three primary reasons. So why do, why does, like why do, why do, why do kids get brought into care? Number one, they come into care for parental drug abuse, sex abuse, and severe neglect, right? So one of those three reasons, parental drug abuse, sex abuse, and severe neglect. There are over 186 cases of child abuse reported every single day in the state of Georgia. 186 cases. We average 120 children a month in foster care just in Paulding County alone. As of a couple of months ago, February 1st, 2021, there were 12,096 children currently foster care in the state of Georgia with less than 5,000 foster homes. Almost, I don't, and listen, and you know the number of churches is like 100,000 in the state of Georgia. I may be making that up, but it's definitely much more than the number here. I'm just saying it may be more. Someone Google that who's not really paying attention this morning. I give you freedom just to go. If you find the number, you can throw it out as long as it's not too distracting. Uh, number seven, 50% of those cases that of children in foster care is due to neglect. 
due to neglect. Like we know children who come into care, they can't speak. They just they get up and they go to a corner and use the bathroom. They've never been taught how to do anything else. They don't know how to eat, right? They don't know how to use anything. Like that's the type of severe. That's not every case, but it's definitely some, right? Severe neglect. So that means a lack of adequate housing, lack of food, lack of safety. Uh, like we, like there are families in Paulding County within just a couple of miles of us. They've gone into care for these reasons, just so you know. Okay, number eight, uh, Georgia has seen. Uh, here's the deal: like with COVID happening, like there was a season where there weren't uh, new cases being given to defects because teachers are their primary reporters, and they just weren't with their children. And I don't know if you know this, but unhealthy homes, when they can't separate, just become more unhealthy. And so abuse that was like you had a reprieve during the day going to school, they didn't have a reprieve. I'm not trying to be like, I'm not trying to lead you to a super scary place, but just to know the reality of the moment, right? It's like when we got back, the cases, man, increased a a bunch. I don't know the number, but it had to be high. So this is saying it's like there's a lot going on, right? The stats tell a story. Uh, And this is, say, the family unit. The family unit is under attack in our community, state of Georgia, Uh, nationally and internationally, right? And the idea is these children, they can't fight for themselves. They are the most at risk. They, listen, I'm just trying to go back to the beginning and say, those are our our neighbors. They are our neighbors. The at risk are our neighbors. And they're the ones who we need to show mercy to. They are the Samaritan. They're the ones on the side of the street who needs a good Samaritan. So this morning, the why the why we are invested into foster care. You can put on the screen, there's two ultimate reasons for us this morning why foster care. Number one, simply God's calling, and two, conviction of Scripture. God's calling, which I've already kind of named, but I'm going to name over here a little bit deeper. So God's calling, and then conviction of Scripture. We believe God is calling us to the, this unreached people group. Remember that story in, uh, in Isaiah where Isaiah sees the Lord, like, I'm a man of unclean lips, I shouldn't even be here, right? Oh my gosh, woe is me, I'm not capable of anything, I'm a terrible person, and the seraphim flies over him, and and touches his lips and cleanses him, right? Cleanses his whole body, and all of a sudden, it's like, Honestly, like salvation for us, we're washed in the blood of Jesus, and we raise a new life, and we're a new creation. Like Isaiah, in the moment from being like completely incapable, unworthy, and not able to do anything, to all of a sudden Jesus is looking around in heaven, going, "All right, who's going to go for us? Who's going to go?" And Isaiah's like this: "I'll go, I'll go, right here, right here, me, 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 I go, I go, woo, 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 Jesus, right? I'll go for you." It's crazy to me, like just a few verses, he went from feeling completely incapable, unworthy, to all of a sudden being called. Like, he wasn't even called. He just said, I'll go. I love this, y'all. He didn't go pray about it. He didn't ask, go try to find out God's perfect will for his life to figure out what he was called to do. He just said, you need somebody, I'll go. And so when we talk about loving the at-risk, the needy in our community, to be the Samaritan like, it's just the call's already out there. We don't have to go pray about it. It's like, yes, God, we will do this. We will do this. And so at Vintage, right, I'm not looking for the, the 20% who do 80% of the work to invest into foster care. I'm looking for the staff to do this in foster care. I'm looking at you saying it's a Vintage call, and if you're part of the Vintage family, then foster care has become part of the calling upon your life. 
It's okay for me to say that. I'm not saying it has to be your primary thing. Like Kristen does FCA, right? She's in school. She's parenting from a distance and investing in kids in a much different level. And that's a primary call in life, right? But for her, for part of being part of Vintage, she's finding a way to connect with our foster kids, right? You may say, like, Daniel's back here. Daniel Haas is back here primarily doing all of this stuff back here. He's still giving some level of engagement into the foster arena, some of the things that Randall was talking about this morning, right? It's a call of our church family. It's vintage. It's a calling that all of us get behind. So when you're in a conversation with somebody, like, oh, you're part of the foster care church. You're like, yep, I sure am. Do you foster? No, I don't. But I am engaged and I am involved because it's our calling. It's our calling. And so in that, like, we would look at you and say, man, either you are fostering or you're a friend to it at Vintage. Right? And so maybe you bring foster kids into your home. Maybe you rested. Like this past week, the Haxons went away. They got four. And so they farmed out. Who was it? Stovers, I apologize. I thought you said Saxon. So the Stovers, the Stovers got, that's right, I saw their Instagram. They went away, right, just the two of them, and they farmed all four of their kids out to four different homes for respite for the weekend so that they could get away for the first time in a long time, right? It was beautiful. So that you can become that. You can bring meals to families. Who does this in foster families? Do you like having meals brought to your house and to cook that night? Yes, right? You can come over, like, take them out. Listen, teach them how to, how to, like, listen, teach them how to swim, right? This gets stressful. Sometimes it's stressful with kids. So, so you teach them how to swim. Teach them how to do something you're passionate about, right? Just engage them in some level. You don't have to bring children into your home, but you're doing something in the life of vintage. The second reason why is this, the conviction of Scripture. Throughout Scripture, God references the phrase, the poor, 150 times, maybe more, he alludes to it more than that, but specifically the poor, 150 times in these scriptures, God is always talking about fighting for them, defending them, providing for them, and challenging his people to come along and do the same, to provide and to fight for them. In scripture, the poor almost always represents these three people, the widow, the orphan, and the immigrant in their midst, right? So scripture from Old Testament times, it always names the poor as the orphan, the widow, and then the immigrant, right? It's the immigrant, someone who's just not part of there, it's a stranger in the land. The reason God names them is simple. In Jewish culture, these three groups, they did not have a voice in the community, kind of like children, right? They didn't have a voice. They didn't have a legal stature and a legal platform to stand on. So God had to fight for them, and he was calling his people to fight for and defend them also. They didn't have legal rights, so we will give it to them by fighting for them. For our purposes, the children in foster care represent the orphan. Now, I know literally on paper, they're not orphan, right? They have parents, and but the reality is because of neglect and abuse of all types of levels, they have basically been orphaned by parents who have stopped parenting them. And so in that, we view them as orphans, and I'm unashamed to say that, although some people may get like, ah, like when a, like, listen, they are. They, they, they practically are orphans. And so when we come in this moment, this is the call of God for us, fighting for those who are in foster care. We truly view them as an orphan in our midst. So again, I'm going to go through some scriptures very quickly. James 1.27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Don't, listen, 
like, don't try to uh, sugarcoat the language. The religion, a life, a religious fervor and energy that our Father accepts as pure and faultless is not to go read your Bible more. It's not to go pray more. It's not to fast more. It's not to go to Bible studies, not to go to prayer group, right? It's to care for those at risk and those who are in need in your community. Don't miss that. That's the call, right? It's already stated in Scripture. We care for the orphan in our midst. Deuteronomy 15.11 says, There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed towards your fellow Israelites who were poor and needy in your land. So Deuteronomy is coming law-wise and saying, hey, guys, when you have your field, when you have your field and you begin to cut your field, make sure you leave part of your field for those who were poor. There's always going to be the poor and needy in the land, and you need to make sure you're doing everything you can to provide for them. That's your responsibility. So I love in John 15, 11, it's the same numbers. John 15, 11, the woman is pouring out this perfume and tears on Jesus' feet, just washing his feet, right? And it's worth, that perfume is worth one year's wages, right? A lot of money, you know, a lot of money, not necessarily for me, but for her, you know what I'm saying, right? No, a lot of money for her, a lot of money for it, for Judas. And Judas gets this there and goes, oh my. Gosh, do you see what she's doing? Completely wasting all of this. This could have been given to us so we could sell it and give it to the poor. Jesus hears and says, I just want to paraphrase for Jesus here. He's like, bro. Listen, boys. She's worshiping me with everything that she has. And I honor it. And he quotes and says, Hey, Judas, Robert, you get to be Judas. Sorry, bud. Okay. Bro, the poor will always be among you. And they all went, "Ah." he's telling us it's our responsibility to care for them. Because he spoke it back in Deuteronomy. He's convicting us, saying it's not her responsibility. Her responsibility is to worship. Why don't you go care for the poor? Because that's your call. It's our call, the body of Christ. I love Jesus re-quoting that and restating it. And then Proverbs, I love these two because you don't have to think about them. It's just super direct. That's why I love the Proverbs. Super simple for a guy like me. Proverbs 14.31. Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Very straightforward. You don't have to worry about what that really means. It means what it says, right? Psalm 12, 5, very, very similar. Because the poor are plundered, right? The poor are plundered and the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I'll protect them from those who malign them. He looks around and says, Noah's was fighting for him. Well, I'm a dad, so I'm going to step up. I'm going to take care of him. Let me just tell you something. God's a foster dad. He just is. Just to get at it real clear. He's a foster dad. He's looking down at a bunch of people like us, and he's like, ah, I'm going to fight for you. You're all maligned. You're all struggling, right? Now, why don't you go do the same for those in your midst? Go do the same in your midst. The idea around God's heart for the poor is simple. It's real, it's real clear. Talk is cheap. We have to be engaged. We want our actions to match up with our talk. James 2, 15 through 16, and then Greg's going to come and lead us in worship. 
says this, Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself is not accompanied by action is dead. We don't go engage action to earn salvation or make God happy. What he's simply saying very clearly is if you are actually a person of faith, a person who believes in God, an authentic Christ follower, it's automatically going to lead you to action because you will be like Jesus and Jesus was caring for the poor and these I didn't come listen what Jesus basically says I didn't come for the healthy I didn't come for my tribe of people who've already heard this I've come for the needy and the hurting right they're the ones who need a doctor they're the ones who need help and the call is the same for us let's pray Father as we stand this moment we are thankful for the way that you have moved in us. We thank you for those you've raised up to, to actually be foster parents in this season. We're thankful for a number of people who you've raised up to respite and to be part of the team. We're thankful, Jesus, for the way that you've, uh, you've given us unique giftings and abilities to come alongside and to make meals and to bless and to love on these families. We thank you for the call at Vintage that, that you have given us a name. We are the foster care church, and that's how people know us, and we celebrate that we thank you, God. We've been faithful in the small things, and so you've enlarged our tent, God, and you've given us greater influence. And we say yes and amen, God. Would, now, we, would we continue to be faithful in those things? And would you continue to expand our tents for a greater influence? I am asking this morning, Jesus, I am asking for more foster families. I'm asking for more foster children. I'm asking for more respite parents. I'm asking for more people, God, who would die to self and sacrifice their own fears and concerns to love children who are at risk. That, God, we would be willing to get uncomfortable so that others who are dying would have a level of comfort, namely our foster children. Help us to pick up our cross and say, God, we will die to our fears of our heart being broken so that this child can simply live. Jesus, come and have your way. Amen. This morning, I have two invitations. I will, number one, I mean, we just love to, to pray for you and bless you this morning. So if there are things that are going on in your life, you're like, Steve, I love the idea of this, giving my life away, but I, I feel like I'm barely surviving. We'd love to pray for you. Or for anything else, you want healing in your life, you want to pray for something, a loved one, we'd love to pray for you this morning with our prayer and ministry team. Just anything that are going on, right? But two, I just want to invite you in worship. Say, God, God, help me. God, I want to, I want to love my neighbor. And we let God just begin to speak to you about that. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I just release you from condemnation. And instead, I just release you to the calling of God of what he's doing in you to love your neighbor. So he responds, the Lord leads. I'll come back and praise out in a second.